It's good to have you here. Welcome to Legacy if you're new. Hey, so we have the kids in here with us today, huh? Your parents are thinking, thanks for nothing, Luke. Thanks for nothing. It's going to be a tighter service today. It's okay if they chirp and squawk. That means that everything's working normally. That's the way kids are supposed to be, especially in a moment like this. But we have a lot of people out this week. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and we wanted to give our volunteers a good solid break, and it's fitting. We feel like that all of our kids are in here, at least for today, because we're going to finish our quick jog through, as Mark said, our mission statement. Our mission statement. We began two weeks ago with Enjoy Jesus, and we looked at what does it even mean to enjoy Jesus and what happens when you don't find yourself enjoying Jesus. And then last week, we transitioned into the second part of our mission statement, which is to invest in others. What that means, who others is, and how much do we invest in the difficulties of that. And today, we're going to finish with what I think might be the hardest for us, and that is to multiply disciples in all areas of life. To multiply disciples in all areas of life. No one feels like they do this very well. Right. This is the one, if, if I were to ask you, do you enjoy Jesus? Some of you, maybe most of you, maybe all of you would raise your hand and say, I'm there. I think a lot of you are investing in the person next to you, the person across the room. But when it comes to making and multiplying disciples, that can be a solid struggle. But the reason I like the kids being in here today is because I don't think you could even say that part of our mission statement with a straight face without taking next generations into view. All areas of life. All areas of life, especially in a church with as many kids as we have and will have. Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, we stole our mission statement, not super creative as a people, we took it from the Great Commission. So I'm gonna just kind of work off of what Charlie did and go back to that as our main passage today because it's a fitting place for us to end. By the way, if you don't have one of these, I'm not quite sure where to get one, Rebecca would have to tell me, but I think we have coloring sheets or some sort of a fill in the blank sheet for our kids. Is that true? Somebody flag me down and tell me, um, is that misinformation? It's good? We're good? So if you have one of those, go into the lobby. I assume they're in the lobby, right? Okay, great. Kids, I'm going to do the best I can to kind of wink, wink whenever we're about to fill something out, and we'll see how that goes. We'll learn together, everybody. Matthew 28, this is what it says, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of, here it is, kids, all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you hear nations, when you hear nations, think broader than the globe that you kind of grew up with in your classroom, with different colored blobs that kind of somehow fit together, with bold black lines around them and a little star with a, with a capital name by it. You want to think much bigger than that. Jesus is actually shooting wider than that. Matthew's word for this is in the commonly spoken Greek, and it is ethnos. Ethnos, it just means people. Very complicated, it means people. Jesus is saying, make disciples of all different kinds of people. Various kinds of people. Missions agencies will call these people people groups. Uh, missionaries are sent to a people group, not just a nation, because there are multiple people groups even in one nation. Think about that for a moment. Guess how many nations there are in the world? That's always a fun game. Some of you are going to be way off, by the way. It's 195. 
195 nations, different flags, different contenders at the Olympics, not all of them fantastic, but that's not their fault. But Jesus is not saying, go and make American disciples and then check that box. And then move on to Brazilian disciples and check that box. And then Ukrainian disciples and then check that box. Now that would be a good start to deploy the gospel in a way that makes sense to all the different nations with different flags flying above it. That is a good start. But there are different ethnos even inside of a nation, even inside of every nation. Ethnos is actually where we get the word ethnicity. I didn't have to tell you that because you're smart people and you probably already figured that out. So whenever I even say the word ethnos, you probably think ethnicity. But I want you to zoom in even tighter than that, even tighter. Because Mark Lewis will tell you that there's a difference between the culture and the people in Bangkok, Thailand, than the people from Udon, which is north and a little bit west. I mean, they're not that far, but they're very different people. They're very different people. Even our nation is nothing less than a big bowl of different ethnos, different people group. I grew up in the oil patch of West Texas, and it, a lot, they've, they've written books on it. It's got such a distinct culture. There's been movies made on it. It's so distinct. But I've also lived a little speck of time in southern Los Angeles. Also movies made in that, that particular area as well. Those folks could not be any more different. But they're crammed into the same nation. The cab drivers that scoot up and down Wall Street, they have a different culture, a specific way of doing life. They share things together that no one else would really understand. But you also have hedge fund managers that work on that exact same street, different culture entirely. They all get up, they put their clothes on in the morning, they go to work, they work, they go home, and they're even in the same area. But they couldn't be more different. Even the zip code that we're in right now, 37919, right? Do you know how different our zip code is? Listen, I measured it. 4,382 feet away from here are $6 million homes. It's less than a mile. Six million dollar homes. But right across the street over there, people are applying for vouchers to pay their rent. It's Section 8 homes. We've got, just in our voting precincts, just right here, we've got people that are refugees and we have homers that have been here forever and they can track their family back three, four generations to this zip code even. I mean, if you drive down the street today, you could eat at a barbecue place, which is okay, or you can walk 282 feet and you can have authentic Ethiopian cuisine right on the same street. It's fascinating to me how many different ethnos we have just in our own zip code. We're not just Knoxvillians. It's actually a little bit more detailed than that. So when Jesus says all nations, here it is, kids. He means everyone of all ages, in all spheres, from all cultures, at all times, in all rhythms. That's fascinating. So how on earth can one gospel advance to that granular of a de degree? How can one gospel do that? Because that's our commission. He's telling us. Not only that, that's our mission statement. That's part of who we are as a people. But I know it can work. I know it can work. I've been resolved on this for 26 years. I know this can work because we actually start seeing the gospel seep into all areas of life as far back as the Gospels and the book of Acts. It, it, it shows us what it looks like. The Gospel would spread and actually take on little bits and shading and flavor from the culture that it's in. 
It's interesting how that works when you look at it. You could even see it today much more vividly, but the gospel is not polluted by the culture around it. And whenever it is, the church has usually rushed in and tried to correct that. By the way, that's where Galatians comes from. That's why there are letters written to the book of, or, or to this, the church in Corinth. Those are corrections to man-made, man's attempt to maybe pollute the gospel a little bit, change it. We still have to do it today. The gospel still can be polluted today. This is what Jesus says in Acts 1. You, this is you, this is other people first, but it is definitely you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, disciple makers, disciples that make disciples that make disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see it happening. We see the gospel change soldiers, politicians, fishermen, single women, single business women, tax collectors, lepers, religious teachers, prison guards, prisoners, shepherds, royalty, kids, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, slaveholders, the sick, occult leaders, ship captains, you name it. Those are just the ones I could come up with off the top of my head over and over again. Every cul-de-sac and every cubicle, every ethnos of the ancient world, all people for all areas of life. The gospel's perfect news. Doesn't matter what culture it finds itself encroaching upon, it is highly transportable and it could be contextualized to a needy people no matter what those needy people even look like. Because everybody wants life. Everybody wants enduring life. Everybody wants hope. Everybody sees their need. Everybody knows that they need to be rescued. I mean, just consider this. Just how it even breaks down here. When we interview kids for baptism, by the way, some of you don't even know that we do this. It's probably as good a place as any to say that, that yes, we do this. Because when you have kids, I don't know if some of you are still getting kids that are getting up to this age. Let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to see a baptism at one of our big events and they're going to come to you and say, hey, I want to be baptized, and this is what you'll think as a parent. Do you really, or do you want everyone to clap for you? Because that's what you just saw. Everyone's clapping. There's a big celebration. Is that what's going on, or did God do something genuine in your life? So you'll, as a good parent, you'll ask them questions to try to discern it out, try to work it out, right? Well, we as elders, we sit down with your kids, and we also ask a couple questions here or there. And that's not just a formality. I have had to tell parents, I don't think your kids are ready for this. I think your kids need, need some more time. We have done that, right? But whenever they do explain what the gospel means to them, guess what? They use kid words, right? They don't sound like a systematic theology workbook. They, they use tight little sentences and phrases because they just don't know very much. They have what the Bible calls a childlike faith, and that's sufficient. But it's very different whenever you talk to a seminary student, how they love the gospel, the same gospel, the same good news. They'll use words like hypostatic union and, and particular redemption, and they'll talk about the differences between mercy and grace, and they'll use words like eschatology. They'll be very flower. You won't even understand what they're saying. Some of them don't even understand what they're saying, right? But they'll do the best they can, and this they can say, they love the same gospel. Ask a drug addict. You'll get a beautiful version of the gospel. Ask an abuse survivor, and they will tell you the gospel with different words. Same good news. Ask Peter, 
Oh, he'll tell you how beautiful the gospel is. If we had opportunity to ask Zacchaeus, he would sound different with the gospel. Do you see how this works? It's one set of good news. The gospel is simple enough to capture the heart of a child and beautiful and deep and enchanting enough to capture the sharpest minds, the deepest of philosophers, all areas of life, all areas of life. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. And if you have a Bible and you could turn there quick, that's where we're going to be. The, the Great Commission is still our main passage today, but I find this one to be helpful for where we're at. This is Paul talking to a church that he helped plant, and he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Do you see what he's doing here? To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul read the room. He took the texture of the room on, the culture of the room on, to the point that it made sense and glorified God. Why? Because he wanted to share the blessings of the gospel. This is why, friends, whenever we release, and we're getting there, we're about to release, believe it or not, right? Short service today. But when we release, we don't so much release as we deploy. We deploy. We're sending you out. That's the, that's the better language because soon we're all going to kind of leech into society in our own little different areas, in our own pockets, our own corners with its own rhythms. And we all each have our own different orbit. Think of a planet with things orbiting. The stuff that's closer to the center orbits fast than the stuff that's further away. It takes a long time to get around and we all have our different orbits. The people that you work with, that's a tight orbit. You see them all the time. You can pick up the conversation where you left off. Some people you don't see once a year, every great once in a while, it's a further, but we all have them. I have a sphere of influence that differs from you. It doesn't look like yours. I have a relational credit system I've built with people, trust that I've built with people, and you don't even know their names, and vice versa, right? Right? I don't know some of the people that you've done life with, and if you add up all of the orbits in our small room, you'd get in the tens of thousands in fact, I want you to consider this. Your family, your schedule, your passions, your hobbies, your interests, your career, they all place you in a unique space and time not held by anyone in human history before. How crazy is that? That's how unique everybody is. And not only that, it evolves over time. I mean, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kids, let me ask you this. It's got to be a blank on your sheet. What do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a pilot, right? I remember as a kid wanting to be a pilot. Genetics failed me. My eyesight's garbage. I realized at a young age, they're never going to let me fly a plane. So then I wanted to be a truck driver. I don't know why. I saw Smokey and the Bandit. It was cool enough. I wanted to drive trucks and smuggle moonshine, right? That's what I wanted to do. But then I got a little older, and I matured, and I wanted to be a bodybuilder, right? <laughs> A bodybuilder, no joke. Again, genetics failed me. I realized that wasn't going to work, right? So then I wanted to be a physical therapist. 
And then I wanted to be a surgeon. And now I'm a pastor. Listen, I talk to adults all the time. This is the question. You don't ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I ask adults all the time, are you going to do this in 10 years? Do you see yourself doing what you're doing now 10 years from now? And I never get a yes. I always get a, this look right here, this, this curious gaze into space, trying to figure out, do they really want to? We change. Our orbits change. The people we're around change. Listen, everything I've said is true. It doesn't mean it's helpful, though, right? Because when we really look at passages like this and mission statements, we feel insufficient to be a maker of disciples. We feel insufficient. We feel like we don't know enough. We're not talented enough, gifted enough. We're just not enough to do the work of making disciples. Friends, listen, you're not alone if that's how you feel. By the way, this is where Friends Sunday came up with, right? Some of you, you grew up in church, and there was a, a Sunday every week called Friend Sunday. And that's where you would bring your friends to church, and the church would do something like have, a, like have an omelet chef in the foyer, or they give away Vols tickets or something like that. Some bait. We're just throwing chum into the water of the city to draw people in. And you would bring your friends in, and then me, a professional, would preach the gospel in a way that would secure that salvation because you couldn't do it. That's why if you didn't grow up in church, you're not familiar with what I just said because we don't do that here. We have a different philosophy of ministry entirely. You, you are the single best missional powerhouse that can be conjured for your place and time. It's you, friend. Not me, not Mark Lewis, not John Piper, not your favorite whoever. You, as, as Mordecai would tell Esther, you were born for such a time and a place as this, right now, this moment, this time, this place, you. Even you kids, even you teenagers, your friends, listen, your friends are better friends to you than they are to me, right? They'll listen to you talk about Jesus much more than they'll listen to me talk about Jesus. This is on your sheet, kids. I'm just an old guy. I'm just an old guy. I'm a loud old guy. You, however, are a missional powerhouse. And God's providential brilliance and creativity has placed every single one of us in the orbit that he did with the people that are spinning around us in the time that we actually occupy. And you are just as sufficient for the job as Paul was. Why? Because it's not got anything to do with you. That's why. How do I know this? Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. This is what we imagine him to be saying right here that you will turn into an Autobot, right? That you will have this, like you took too, too, too many spoons of creatine and you could just so strong you start flipping stuff over, right? You're super powered because this power of God has come upon you and all you have to do is just start speaking the word and people are falling to the ground, begging, begging to be baptized in the nearest puddle you can find. That's what we imagine whenever we see the word power, but that's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's saying. The power here is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, takes your imperfect words, spoken imperfectly, with very bad timing. He takes them and he does something beautiful with them. He perfectly delivers the message to their heart to where they see him clearly and compellingly, perfectly catching their hearts. This is a supernatural surgery. You can't do this. 
All we bring, friends, is our obedience. He does all of the work. We show up with courage and obedience, and we do the best we can, and then God swoops in, the power of God swoops in and does something very beautiful. In fact, this is how, this is how it says this in Rome, Romans. Paul says this in the first chapter, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, the power of God for salvation, to everyone who believes, everyone. Everyone you meet, everyone in your orbit has a hungry soul. Everyone in your orbit is asking themselves terrifying questions all the time. Everyone in your orbit has hopes for a long-lasting, enduring life of value. No one in your orbit has met founding value in life outside of Jesus. No one. No one. And so as you and I imperfectly carry the gospel, God does what we can't. And he does so to the ends of the earth, to the very end. Here's the real sin for you and me. The point of repentance for you and me is not just being a silent person, not just being silent when it comes to making disciples, because yes, we do repent for that, but it's much bigger. It's believing that God is not enough, that he's not sufficient, that the sufficiency actually rests on our own shoulders. For, for us as elders to look at you and to say, we want to build a church that makes disciples in all areas of life is simply to say that we want to build a church that believes that God is sufficient to take imperfect people in imperfect moments with an imperfect set of words that didn't get enough sleep that night and they don't know what they're, to, to actually see salvation happen right before them because they were being obedient. Because the gospel not only saves the broken and the lost, it sustains broken evangelists. It sustains you and me to be courageous and obedient. And that's the result of the gospel, as it sustains us. We're free. We're free. You're free to fail in evangelism. You're free to be bold. You're free to be courageous. Free to be obedient as God does his work by his spirit, through his word, for his glory. And all you have to do is step into it. So there's some things that we do. There's three quick things I'm going to point to, and then we're going to bring the team up. One is we're free to pray. Pray. I mean pray. We're going to get to do this today a little bit. Pray as if there are no limits to your prayer. Pray as if God is not going to say, nah, you're, okay, you had me till then, but now you're asking too much. Pray as if God says, there's never too much. Keep praying, keep asking, keep submitting, and then risk everything as if there's nothing to lose. This is what Leonard Ravenhill says in a book he wrote called Why Revival Tarries. He is an evangelist. He's a little bit more mustard gas than he is gentle. It's still a great read. He says this, we cannot have big results from our small praying. The law of prayer is the law of harvest. So sparingly in prayer, reap sparingly. So bountifully in prayer, reap bountifully. The trouble is we are trying to get from our efforts what we're not putting into it. Listen, this is part of the reason, part, not all. There's a logistic reason we do this as well. But this is, this is the spiritual component to why we ask for our missional communities to have two empty chairs whenever they all meet together. To have two empty chairs. Why? Because you got a room with, what, six, let's say six families in there? That's 12 adults. Maybe double it and say you got 24 around it. you got 25 humans represented in a small missional community, Right? How many people do you think are spinning in all of those orbits? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Who, who can sit in those two seats? 
Who are we praying for? Who, who could be the next two that we want to see sitting in the, you got to pray, pray. Every one of you have people in your orbit that are spinning tightly, real close, and you feel like they are one, two, three, maybe just 15 conversations away from saying, what must I do to be saved? Pray, friends, pray. Two, tell the story of God and feel free to do the best you can with your broken words and your awkward moments, even with all the distractions that come, and they will. Handling all the questions that they're going to ask that you don't have the answers to, even though their face gets hard, preach, tell, be a witness. Know that the power of God is working through you. Friends, listen, I don't have the gift of evangelism, not even close. It's not one of my gifts. But I've had people, more than a few, come to know the Lord through my flawed presentation. I've seen awkward moments produce brave disciples. It happens all the time. In fact, it's going to happen today in our city. It's going to happen today. Three, and finally, tell your own story. Tell your own story as an illustration of God's bigger story because they do know you. You're explaining the gospel to them, something they might not know everything about, but they do know you. They have seen the change in your life. Tell your story. How has God changed you? What did salvation mean for you? What were you before? What did he rescue you from? Where do you still need work? Where do you still have questions? You're free to talk about that. Listen, we're going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to pray with you as we take communion together and the team comes back up. But what I want you to do is I want you to think of one to three people in your orbit. One to three. That's it. It might just be one. Everyone's orbit's a little different. Might be two, might be three. I want you to think about them. Ask the Lord to, to change something, change the dimension of that relationship, give you an opportunity to be awkward, give you an opportunity to be courageous and obedient and see the power of God come through that courageous obedience to do something beautiful that you simply couldn't do. That's what we're going to pray for. We're going to ask God to build his diverse church of different ethnos because this is what is going to represent a heaven full of different ethnicities, not just of this world, but of the world before us and after us. We're going to see people from ancient tribes and civilizations that don't even exist anymore. You think we are a complicated and nuanced and diverse world today. You haven't seen anything yet. When every tongue and tribe and nation is crying out and worshiping the Lord, whatever you have in your mind, multiply it by a thousand. It's going to be nuts. I'm so excited about this. But we all have one commonality because it is one God with one gospel building, one church. That's what we will see the result of. Amen?